Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 25, with Pastor John King. I also want to thank everybody who helped on the uh, Christmas float and the Christmas parade this year. What an awesome time it was. Uh, there were thousands of people out there, probably the biggest they've ever had, I don't know. Uh, but I think people are pent up with anxiety about this world. And so just to go to something normal like a Christmas parade uh, was, uh, was a blessing and it was great to be a part of. So, you know, if you hear us talking about it next year, come on out and enjoy the fun. Uh, you know, if you can't ride on the, the float, you can come help us decorate. If you'd rather just bring your kids and ride on the float. If it continues to be as big as it is, the start times are going to change. We, we stood for an hour, I think, but it was just a wonderful time. And so I would uh, I just, again, thank you to everybody who participated in that. And uh, it, was, it was a great time. Well, um, okay, enough announcements. Uh, this is my announcement. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 25 today. Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 25. You remember last week, we started chapter 3 with uh, what's considered one of the most famous Bible stories in all the book of Daniel, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will have to be thrown into a fiery furnace for refusing to worship and bow down. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he had, he had given, when Daniel interpreted the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar had acknowledged God as a god among many gods. But by the time, maybe up to 20 years later, obviously it didn't stick, right? <laughs> obviously that experience he had with God was not a lasting one. Uh, obviously, he maybe he trusted God for the moment, but he didn't trust God for you know, all of his life. And so uh, he, uh, he decided he's going to build a, a 90-foot statue out in the middle of the desert and have people, all of his leadership from all over his great kingdom come and worship. And so, you know, here we were, we were talking about that, you know, uh, this week we're going we're gonna to see through these three young, very brave young men, we're going to see how God is going to allow us to show us genuine trust and faith. Actually, how it works, not just a definition of faith, which we'll cover a little bit, but how does faith actually work? And uh, we're going to learn that real faith in God is not based on some desired outcome, okay? It's not based on a, what we would call a, a positive confession. We don't believe in that. You know, they, Joe Foch would say, blab it and grab it. We're not word of faith, okay? Genuine faith is ready to trust and obey, and then guess what? God will determine the outcome. God will determine the outcome. So let's read our, our passage for today. Again, we're in... Verse 13 of chapter 3, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. Now, he was, he was very angry because these, uh, these Chaldeans had gone and kind of ratted out these three young men. Because they, you know, they had the, the whole exercise in the desert where there was uh, music being played. And everybody bowed down at the sound of the music except for these three guys. And so the Chaldeans came and they kind of ratted them out to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's this... The king was hot. Nebuchadnezzar was angry. And he said, it says then in verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them saying, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyra, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. It's going to be well with you. It's going to go good for you. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? He'll find out. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> silly rabbi, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will not, if he will not, excuse me, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king, you know, either dead or alive. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace up seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and all the other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of a burning fire furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered to the king, and they said, uh, True, O king, <laughs> you did, <laughs> don't throw us in. Uh, Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for, oh, what, what can we, how can we not thank you for this truth that you bring us? Your word is so precious to us. It's so wonderful, Lord. It, it, it takes away all the false teachings and the false beliefs that we may have in our hearts and minds, Lord. It washes us clean. It brings us to a place of worship unto you as we study your word. May your word have its effect on us. May it change us once again, Lord. There's something that you choose to do as you, you instructed us to be sit under the instruction of your word. You, you said to gather and to do this and to, and to study the apostles' teachings and to break bread and to have fellowship with one another. And so, Lord, we've come together once again. We want to be obedient to you. We want to bow down to you, Lord, and trust you for all that you have for us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, here in the first part, you see Nebuchadnezzar ask a very provocative question. Who is the God who will deliver you? Verses 13 through 15. Who is the God who will deliver you? We started out, though, with this. You noticed that we, we transitioned. We said last week, you know, that he'd been ratted out. These three men have been ratted out by these Chaldeans who were jealous of the position that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had given to Daniel and his three companions. 
And the fact that they wouldn't obey, you know, this guy's such an, an egomaniac, Nebuchadnezzar, he was, he was in a violent rage. He was, he was hot. <laughs> now, um, they weren't in compliance with the decree. They, 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 they failed to obey the instructions that everybody was given. And they wouldn't bow down and worship the golden image at the sound of the music. So they were brought immediately before the king. But Nebuchadnezzar does something that's kind of out of his character. He, uh, he actually allowed them to kind of have an opportunity to explain themselves. And he asks a question. He says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? I mean, is it, are you serious? Did you really not do that? Uh, now, the king was going so far as to verify the claims of the Chaldeans because their, their, uh, their you know, um, credibility had already been uh, you know, not so good with the king after the initial uh, time when he took over the kingdom. He says, will you not serve my gods, which means to pay reverence? Will you not worship? It means to lay down flat in homage, to lay down flat on the ground, face down, and worship this idol, which I have set up, which I have established. And, and it's, all, it's as though he's saying, you know, are you, are you kind of joking here? Like, you didn't mean not to worship the God that I've set up. Uh, let's be serious. And so in verse 15, he says, Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, etc., if you're ready, if you're prepared when you hear this sound, and if you fall down and worship, the image that I've made, well, then, then good. You know, I, I've just given you a second chance. And he was not known for second chances. And so the king was offering to let them prove their innocence. You know, there had to be a mistake here. Either you're not taking this seriously, or, you know, I want to... It's almost like he's a father counseling his kids. A, a very mean father, by the way. But he says, here's the option. Here's your options. You know, if you bow down, good. If not then, you know, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. You're toast, literally. Um, he's saying, make your choice, because there will be consequences. Now, this, this really, for us, this is, a this is a question for you and I each and every day. Not so much that we're going to be tossed into a burning fire, but are we willing, are you and I willing to stand for Christ despite the consequences? Are you even willing to suffer the consequences, as these young men were. And then he finishes by, you know, he offers him, he says, hey, if you do this, you know, kind of go ahead and, and bow down, just do what I ask you to do. And then he says, and he says, if not, I'm going to burn you up. And then he, he asks the question, a provocative question. He says, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now, we said earlier, we know he's going to find out. If you know, I think it's next chapter, he's truly going to find out who God is. It's obvious that Nebuchadnezzar had made himself a god. He had made a god in his own image. He was idolatrous. He was idolatrous of himself. He was idolatrous of this great kingdom that the Lord had allowed him to have. Because remember, only God raises up kings. Only God gives power, sovereign positions in this world even to this day doesn't matter who you are president of china russia united states only god gives that power and obviously he decided he was going to worship himself 
I love Charles Spurgeon when he says about this. He says, We can imagine the enormous pressure on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to compromise. Everything in front of them, the king, the furnace, the music, their compatriots, their competitors, all of it conspired to convince them to compromise. Yet God was more real to them than any of those things. And so the advice that Spurgeon would give to you and I is, do not judge the situation by the king's threat and by the heat of the burning, fiery furnace. But, at the, but trust the everlasting God and the eternal life which awaits each and every one of you, if you know Jesus. Let not the flute, the harp, or the lyre fascinate you. Don't let the music and the symphony and all the things, the big show. He says, but hearken to the music of the glorified. Men will frown at you, but you can see God smiling at you, and so you are not moved. And so next we see in verses 16 through 18, their reply. Their reply is, our God is able. Their reply is not like, our God's going to beat you up right now. Our God's going to smoke you on the spot. No, our God is able. Look at verse 16. They answered and they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Notice how these men respond. They said, we have no need to answer you. Now you might think that that's being disrespectful. But what they're saying is, we have no need to defend ourselves. They were not going to try and talk the king out of his decree. They weren't going to go there. They simply were not going to compromise. And they had no intention to deliberate and debate. That wasn't, that's not what they are going to do. He says, we have no need to answer you. Their response was not to defend their convictions about disobeying the law of God, which is the direct uh, you know, uh, affront to the law of God for a believer, for a child of God, to worship an idol. But what they wanted to do was to declare what God is capable of. What God is capable of. And in verse 17, it says, If that be the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. If that's the way it's going to be, and your decree, then let it be. Why? Because our, the God we serve. Okay, You ask the question, King, O Nebuchadnezzar, who can deliver you? Well, our God can. Our God is able to do what he says he can do. He can deliver them from the furnace. He can do that. And if they say, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. No matter what happens, either dead or alive, they are going to be free from the power of this man, this hand of power that's been placed upon them. We know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8. So no matter what a person can do to you, no matter what anybody can do to harm you, Christian, brothers and sisters, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't ever want to forget that. And they hadn't. And so they held firm to the belief that God's power was able to overcome both the fiery furnace and the power of the king, the hand that was placed upon them. 
Verse 18, but, but, if not, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods. You see, they're not going to presume on God, and neither should we. They're not going to presume. We don't know what he will do. You and I do not know what he will do in any given situation. We know what he's able to do. But God himself is arbitrary. He's above all things. His ways are higher than our ways. He knows how to deliver, yet sometimes he allows his saints to suffer to glorify him. In fact, he doesn't do anything that doesn't glorify him. Eleven of the twelve apostles were executed for their faith. The ones, you know, in the New Testament. The foundation of the word of God that we study and that we are a part of, Jesus being the cornerstone, we're part of that great building, okay? They died. And more martyrs have been killed in the last century prior to this one than all of Christian history. So God can deliver, but God doesn't always deliver. And they said, we do not serve your gods. They're not giving an excuse. They're not trying to you know, lay out all these reasons, have somebody type up a letter for them or whatever. They're just saying, we're not going to worship your God. We're not going to bow down. We're going to do what's right, and we're going to let God determine the results. David Guzik writes this. He says, They did not doubt God's ability, but neither did they presume to know God's will. In this they agreed with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. They recognized that God's plan might be different from their desires. I have my own desires and dreams, and I pray that God fulfills them, he writes. But if he doesn't, I can't turn my back on him. I cannot turn my back on him. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19 is known as the hymn of faith in your Bibles. And the writer says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like a deer's feet. He will make me walk on high hills. Some thoughts. Notice these men, these three men, they're not talking about gray areas. And, and folks, we live in a world today that's uh, got a lot of am am ambiguity. <laughs> word. There's a lot of gray areas, even though the divide, okay, even though the divide in our culture, we see it now, has become very narrow. We were talking about that last night. Where you fall on the issues of social and conscience and whatever, and especially as a Christian, that divide is super narrow. The, the idea that you can now be a mo so-called moderate in our society, uh, it seems to be evaporating. Even though most people want to be moderate, they want to be sort of reasonable, especially in America. But it seems like we're being forced to make some choices. And so these men, they weren't talking about gray areas. These weren't matters of conscience, so to speak. No, they were being told to sin directly against God. The second commandment, Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likening, like likeness of anything that it is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath 
or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So they were being told directly. And we notice that they have a, a strong commitment to faith. Now, as you read your Bibles and as you understand this thing about faith, you may realize that Hebrews chapter 11 is, the, is the, just an awesome uh, chapter of faith. Hebrews 11 covers the hall of faith. You know, it's got all kinds of wonderful things. And it defines Hebrews 11.1, 1, talking about faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, I, I agree with Warren Wiersbe when he says, this is not really a definition, but a description of what faith does. Remember we said earlier, these guys are going to demonstrate faith. It's not a definition of faith, but a description of what faith does and how it works. How faith works. Because it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I have faith. But how does it work? True Bible faith is not blind optimism, he says, or manufactured hope so. It's not a feeling. Neither is it an intellectual assent to a doctrine. It simply obeys God and knows that he will do what is best. Faith rests on commands and promises, not on arguments and explanations. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of the circumstances or the consequences. Pastor Ken Hamrick in his message, True Faith, he points out that the Bible gives us three basic types, if you're taking note, three basic types of faith found in the Bible. You have, number one, saving faith. Number two, the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith. And then what we're seeing in today's passage, trusting faith. Saving faith is when you've repented of your sin and you believe and accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You're familiar with that. That's saving faith. And then you have the gift of faith. When you've been given a special ability to rely on God in difficult situations. This is why. This is a spiritual gift. That is why fellowship is so important. Because not everybody has the exact same gift. And so your brother or sister who has a gift of faith is the one who will encourage you or I who don't have the gift of faith. You know, to be around somebody that's so full of faith, it can be so uplifting. 1 Corinthians 12.9, to another faith by the same Spirit of God, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. He's talking about the spiritual gifts, and it's a spiritual gift of faith, and it's something you need to recognize in one another when you see it and get near it, get close to it, especially if you don't have a lot of faith. So you have saving faith, you have the gift of faith, and now you have trusting faith. When you believe that God is able to work on your behalf, what we see today these three young men are fully confident in God's ability to save them, even if he chooses not to apply his deliverance to their immediate situation. Now this leads us, folks, to a, let's say, just a little bit of a warning. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some warnings about unbiblical teaching concerning faith. Because it's so prevalent in our, you know, usually on television. Some people, and I'm going to name the Word of Faith movement, but not all, that's by the way, Kenneth Copeland and his group, they teach that faith is based on your effort to achieve a desired result 
And that what a person says, okay, what you say with your mouth determines what you will receive and what you will become. That's why they call it word of faith. This is known as positive or in the negative, negative confession. This, what it does is it now places your faith over the will of God. And it's wrong. According to this view, as expressed in various publications, the believer who refrains from acknowledging the negative and continues to affirm the positive will assure for himself pleasant circumstances. He will be able to rule over poverty, disease, and sickness. He will be sick only if he confesses that he is sick. Some make a distinction between acknowledging the symptoms of an illness and the illness itself. Don't speak those words. This view advocates that God wants believers to wear the best clothing, to drive the best cars, and to have the best of everything. Believers need not suffer financial setbacks. All they need to do is tell Satan to take his hands off of their money. That's what they teach. The believer can have whatever he says, whether the need is spiritual, physical, or financial. And you might say, you might push back, and you should maybe push back a little on that. You say, well, what about Hebrews 11.6? You know, that chapter of faith. Hebrews 11.6, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. But don't stop there. For he who comes to God must believe two things. One, that he is, and two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's nothing about health and wealth and grab it and blab it in that. You just believe who he is, and you trust him if you diligently seek him. That's what you will receive. Now, we're not to deny, we are not to deny the blessings God has for us. And they are many. You can count them. You could, make, you could write a book of the blessings that you've received from the Lord. And you give thanks to him, hopefully, every day. Not to deny the blessings God has for us and that they are received through faith. But we need to stay away from the notion that if you simply replace bad thoughts with good thoughts instead of telling it like it is. That's what the Bible does. The Bible tells it like it is. Good, bad, or ugly. Then you and I can trust God's ability to work on our behalf. Amen? Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego writes this writer, were men of faith, but not men of presumption. Had they affirmed that God would deliver them, they would have been presumpting. They would have been presumption because they didn't know what God had willed for their situation. Instead, they stated that their God was able to deliver them, but even if he didn't, they still wouldn't fall down before the king's golden image. God always rewards faith but he doesn't always step in and perform special miracles. Not everybody who prays is healed, but God always gives strength to bear with pain and the grace to face death. Without fear, by the way. The three Hebrew men believed that God could deliver them, but they would trust him even if he didn't. That is how faith is supposed to operate in our lives. That's how faith works. Even if he doesn't rescue you from that situation that you're praying to him about, that you're crying out to him about. Because you're not going to turn your back on him no matter what. 
When we talk about faith, you and I, we need to consider all that God's word has to say about faith. We don't need to hang on certain parts of the Bible and continue to cherry pick those and go around in circles and teach the same thing over and over again. If you want proof, you'll look at Hebrews 11, verses 36 through 40. The writer of Hebrews has gone through this, this chapter, you see it up there, and he's listed all the, you know, the, the faith of all the patriarchs and the, and the heroes of the faith. But now he talks about a group of others. Now these are, Christ, these are believers, okay? These, are, these two are heroes. I think they're more heroes of the faith. Still others had the trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and they were in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The, fact, the plain and simple truth is not all people survive persecution. Not all people have everything turn out wonderful and rosy in their life. And if it's going to cost you, it could cost you your life to be a Christian. And you'd say, well, not in America. And I'd say, well, no, but maybe, you know, folks, we need to be ready. It could happen in our lifetime. And again, I got to be careful. I'm not trying to alarm you like CNN or, you know, whatever these news agencies. You guys see it with your own eyes what's going on in our country. You see the divide in our country. And you see, you've got to see by now that unless our country repents as Christians, I'm talking about believers, I'm talking about you and I, unless the church returns, the Lord's not going to bless this country. And we also know that there's a time limit on these things. So you need to be ready. You and I need to be ready. Just north of us in Canada, they're starting to lock up pastors for doing things, teaching from Romans 1. Uh, Look what they're doing in the school system. So just be ready. Be grounded and rooted in your faith. It may not happen in your lifetime. Pray that it doesn't. But be ready. Look at the uh, verses 19 through 20. These men now cast into the midst of the fire cast into the midst of the fire. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar having, you know, he tried to talk him into, he tried to play nice guy. He tried to play daddy with him and say, hey, if you do it, I'll, you know, and they said, no, we're not going to worship. And then he was full of fury and the expression on his face changed. Now he, now he had his ugly face on, okay? We know, we know what that is, right? <laughs> so he had his ugly face on and he pointed it towards these three men. So now things are getting ready to happen, okay? No more Mr. Nice Guy. And he spoke and he commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it's usually heated. Now these are smelting furnaces that are used to refine, you know, bronze and gold and silver. It gets pretty hot. It gets pretty hot. Well, well, well over a thousand degrees. Uh, and now that's probably a figure of speech. They probably didn't have the ability to make it seven, eight thousand degrees, but it was really hot. And obviously the king's anger had gone to his head. If he was, if he was, it's been said by many that if, if he really wanted to torture these guys, he actually would have turned that furnace down. And they would have had a you know, like a little slow roast in front of all those people. But instead, sorry, James. <laughs> Got him again. <laughs> I need to compose myself. So, but, uh, 
Obviously, he wasn't thinking. He was so angry. You know how you're so angry? You, you, all kinds of crazy things happen, right? You guys never get that way. You, know, you step on a rake and hit you in the face or whatever. <laughs> but he was so angry, he commanded certain mighty men. Now, he wanted his men. Now, these guys weren't going to jump in the fire getting that hot. So he commanded his certain mighty men of valor to bind them and to bring them up and to dump them into the furnace. Uh, these mighty men of valor, I mean, they were men of strength. And they were following the king's orders. What the good king wanted, the good king was going to get. And so what they did was they dressed them up in their coats and their trousers, their turbans, all their other garments. They, like they took their whole sea bag and put it on them, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. All your foul weather, everything going on, right? And they, they threw them in. And like, now, why, why would they do that? Why would they put all their clothes on them? Well, one, this was a public execution on display. You could say, you know, they wanted everything about them to disappear. But we're going to see later that this was also uh, evidence of a miraculous delivery because none of their clothes are going to be burnt. Okay, I'll tell you ahead of time. You already know the story. And so they were, boom, cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. The king's orders were obeyed, right? The king could say, okay, that problem's been taken care of. You know, I'm I'm glad these guys are out of my hair. So he he goes and sits down and then he he turns around. Well, I should say, uh, skipping ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, it says, therefore, because the king's command was so urgent that the guys who dr- brought the three men up, these mighty men of valor, actually died in the process. They died to obey the king's orders. It was so hot that the executioners were burned to death even at the entrance. And they fell down in the midst of this burning fiery furnace, verse 23. Notice now there's, count them, one, two, three going in. Okay, you guys know. And then they fell down, bound into the midst of the... There was no getting out. And then, again, like he said, his sentence was carried out, but not so fast, right? Not so fast, O king. (laughs) We got news for you. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Why? Because he he rose in haste and he spoke to his counselors. He's like, hey, do we not throw three men bound into this thing? And they answered and they said, yes, true, O king, you did. (laughs) We also saw the other three guys get torched in the process. So we're we're pretty scared right now. And uh, he was astonished. He was startled. He says, did we not cast three men? And they said, true. Now, uh, it's been pointed out that the the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint, which was written by uh, 70-plus Hebrew scholars, in the early days of the early church. And what they did was they, they took the Old Testament and they translated it into Greek. Normally our Old Testament we know is Hebrew. Uh, but it's also, there's a, the Septuagint is out there and it's, it's this old Hebrew translated into Greek. And in that version for this, this particular passage, it says that Nebuchadnezzar heard them singing praises. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> and so he's like, verse 25, look, He answered, he says, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Apparently there were were holes, you know, a side of a furnace, a smelting furnace. You would have access for the smelters to be able to look in and see how their work was doing before they could pull it out. And so he he would have visibility into this furnace. And he says in the fourth is a form like the son of God. This is known as a theophany or a Christophany. This is when you have in the Old Testament a physical manifestation of God 
that is tangible to human senses. In this case, seen by Nebuchadnezzar. He saw the fourth person in the fire. Now next week, we're going to conclude this part of this chapter and we're going to see his, uh, his reply. But uh, as we close for today, let, let's think about what we've learned so far today. You know, next week we'll have more detail. But, you know, maybe uh, you've, you've been left to think about or to ponder, okay, what does genuine or truth faith look like in our lives? Are you and I ready, if we need to be, to stand up for our convictions in the face of compromise? Stand up for our convictions in the face of compromise. And if we make that claim, you say, oh yes, sign me up. Are we ready to accept the consequences? You know, if you say, sign me up. Or perhaps maybe somebody listening, maybe somebody here, maybe you're more like Nebuchadnezzar in the sense that, yeah, you're ready to acknowledge God when he answers your prayers. When it's, you know, the heat is on and it's the heat of the moment and there's a very big crisis, this moment of need. But you are not ready and you have not been ready to give your life to God for all of your life. To give him everything you have and commit your life to him. Not just to say, well, you know what, I'm going to say my special prayer now. A lot of people who are raised in, you know, whatever religious background, I will say Christian, um, you know, their last rites. Maybe, you know, say certain prayers and do certain things because they haven't, lived in their, they haven't lived their life for God. They haven't said, not only will I acknowledge God in the heat of the moment, but I acknowledge God for all of my life because I know that he promised me all of eternity. And I know that I'm a sinner and I, the only possible way that I can not spend eternity in hell is to repent of my sin and to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And to believe that. And to walk my life out. That's why, you, you know, why do you come to church every Sunday? Hopefully, you come to fellowship to realize that we're, we're here to kind of be encouraged because we're in training. You know, we're out there. We're going to be out there. We're going to be in the workplace. We're going to be among our families. This is holiday season. We're going to be with our unsaved loved ones and friends. You know, the person that you only speak to once a year, perhaps, that doesn't believe a, th- a single thing about your faith. And, that, you know, those are consequences. You know, those are consequences of choosing Jesus above even your loved ones. So are we ready? Are we ready to acknowledge God for life? If you are, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul has these things to say to us. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what it is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your word once again. Thank you for your challenge to us to count the cost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We know that you, Lord, will equip us. We know that even if you won't deliver us from something terrible that could happen in our life, we will not compromise. We will not turn our back on you. We will press even closer in. 
We know that nothing on this life can actually hurt us. In fact, it can never separate us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And if we did die here on this earth, if we had something terrible happen to us, we'd be present with you. That's the promise. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your loving kindness, for the hope that you give us. And we ask that you go before us this week again. We thank you for all that you plan for us. Make us ready. Make us renewed for you. We pray all these things now in Jesus' precious name. Well, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to recite our closing verse, and then we're going to close with a worship song. Romans 16, 25, 27. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone wise in glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.